Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 to 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Thanks, Jacob. It's a while since I've had the opportunity to to preach. I guess I've been a bit tied up with my uh, shoulder and it's good to be a bit more flexible again. I wonder how many of you here have ever travelled through the New South Wales, central New South Wales township of Parks. Anybody ever been to Parks? There's a few, yeah. That, uh, that place is an interesting town. I've driven through it several times in my travels up the Newell Highway to Queensland and I've even overnighted there once on my way back home here. Did you know that each year on the, in, during the second week of January they hold an Elvis festival at Parks? It's fully sanctioned by the Elvis Presley Estate. It's in its 27th year. It attracts people from all around the world. They have over 200 events spread over about five days. They do all kinds of things from renewal of vows to dancing competitions. There's obviously Elvis lookalike. You can, there's, there's prizes, there's a Miss Priscilla dinner. I can only imagine what that must look like. 
The Parks Elvis Festival is now recognised as one of the top three festivals in Australia. And it's in a town of 11,500. Amazing. But Parks is also famous for another reason. 20 kilometres north of Parks, there's an observatory, the Parks Radio Telescope. Some of you might have seen it. You can still see it as you drive past. It's off in the middle of a paddock. 50 years ago, the Parks Observatory played a crucial role in the lunar landing and Neil Armstrong's first step on the moon. Um, they were able to tra you know, receive signals, very faint signals, back from space and then transfer them to the United States, to NASA. And that was on the 20th of July, 1969. So that's 50 years ago, this July. So the movie The Dish, starring Sam Neill, uh, was about that, although it was greatly embellished on the facts. At Parks Radio Telescope, in the middle of a sheep paddock in central New South Wales, was able to receive those faint signals from space and transfer them on so that we could see images on the screen. So Parks New South Wales is a place where you can either get all shook up or look up. The choice is yours. You, you can get all shook up or you can look up. But I would recommend that you look up. That's my strong encouragement and focus today, that instead of sort of going with the grooves and trying to go this away, we really take something of this away seriously in our lives because you'll see that coming out here clearly in Colossians. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. As we look at this whole series on discipleship, today, as we come to Colossians 3, we're looking at the fruit of discipleship. And one of the first things we learn is that disciples look up. If there is no looking up, there's not going to be any bearing fruit. And there's good reasons for it. Remember Jesus said that we need to remain in the vine. John 15, that whole teaching, I am the vine, you are the branches. Unless you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear no fruit. And this is my fruit that you love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see it coming out in John 13 and then John 15. And it's like Paul has heard that teaching and he's taken it on board and he's saying, this is how you go about remaining in Christ. This is how, about you, this is how you go about keeping that connection with him so that you can continue to have, if you like, the sap of his spirit flowing through you so that you can bear the fruit of the spirit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing, he said. Now, we need to ask ourselves, where is Christ? 
right now he's at the right hand of the Father. That's what is coming out here in these verses. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. In chapter 2, Paul is, is explained that he's convinced that these Colossian believers know Jesus and he talks about them dying with him and rising with him and now he comes to this this point of application or it's almost like a curriculum for discipleship that he's spelling out now he's he's pointing out how to build an adequate trellis for your vine so that it can bear much fruit and it begins with an upward look an upward orientation Paul talks about the same thing to the Philippians. Forgetting what is behind, reaching forward for what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for that upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Why the upward call? Because that's where Jesus is, at the right hand of the Father. And if we have a vital interest in Christ, we ought to be interested in where he is and what he's doing now. And where he is now is in heaven. And what he's doing is from the Father's right hand, the place of ascended authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. He is praying for us. He is preparing a place for us. He's going to come back and take us to be with him. He's building a new heavens and a new earth. He's subduing his his enemies. He's he's building the kingdom of God. And so anyone who's in the kingdom, who has an interest in their king, will be looking that away because that's where their saviour is. That's where their redeemer is. And he says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on the things above. So we are so identified with Jesus that when he was raised from the grave, we see ourselves as raised with him. When he died on the cross, we see ourselves as dying with him. He died for our sins, and we died with him to our sins. He rose again for the forgiveness of our sins, and we rose with him that we might walk in newness of life. This is the language that's being used. And he says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So this language raised above, above, we see it coming out quite regularly in in these verses. And you'll see in the NIV, it has the word set twice. Set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. Literally, it is seek and think. There are two different words in the Greek. The first one, it means literally seek. Other versions bring that out. And it talks about seek Christ above. Set your minds, your thoughts on Christ above and set your hearts. Seek him who is above who is reigning on high, who is your redeemer, who is all your joy and strength and redemption. 
So it's seek and think of. With your heart, you, you scan the heavens like a radar, as it were, to locate what Jesus is doing. And when you realize what that is happening, what, what he's doing for you, you lock your mind on him. You set your mind on him and you think about what he's doing in much the same way as lovers think about what their beloved is doing when they're separated. I know for some months before Robin and I were married, I know that's many years ago now, but I can still remember when I was in a little place called Clifton in, in, in Queensland between Toowoomba and Warwick, and, and she was down in Brisbane working in the Royal Brisbane Hospital as a physio, and I was up as a student pastor. I would often be thinking, what is Robin doing? I wonder what her day is like. I wonder what's going on. And it's that kind of thing. It's seek and set your mind on. It's the sort of things that lovers do. It's this way your heart is engaged. What you are interested in, that is what you are to set your focus on. And it's saying there will be no fruit in your life unless you have that vital seeking, searching and setting your heart and mind on Jesus Christ. If he's but a casual thought, a, a kind of occasional passing acquaintance in, in your thinking, then you're not going to bring forth much fruit. There's not going to be much vital interest and oomph in your spiritual life. You'll hardly be deeply engaged in prayer. You'll hardly be uh, passionate about making him known to others if you scarcely give him a thought. So the whole reason for the upward look is because of Jesus. That's where he is. If he was here, it would be a downward look because that's where he would be. And he's going to come back one day. So it's where our beloved is, that's where our heart is and we're to set our minds fix our attention, engage our feelings and give ourselves fully to thinking that through. And consider what we're told here about our relationship with Christ to seek and think on. We're told Christ is our life. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If Christ is your life, if he gave his life for you, if, if he who has the Son has life and he is your life, then you ought to have a vital interest and you need to fix your minds, cogitate, ponder, reflect, meditate, read about, scan the scriptures, read through and find out what Jesus has done for you and what he is doing for you now. We're told that we're raised with Christ. Death has been vanquished. Verse 1, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above. That's where he is. We're told that our life is hidden with Christ in God. There's a statement and a half. Our life is hidden with Christ in God. Yeah, it's, it's a way of saying... We're bound up with Jesus who's at the right hand of the Father. As, as he is at the right hand of the Father, 
And, and, and God is a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so, such that they're, they're, there's a huge unity between them, such that they are one. Our life is bound up in the Son. We're wrapped up and accepted in the Beloved. So our life is hidden with Christ in God. When he is at the right hand of the Father, he is representing us. We are in him. So these things ought to start to bring some waves of joy and encouragement and deep satisfaction to a disciple as we start to realize the the treasure that we have in Jesus, the riches of the salvation that is ours. It's hidden to this earth's view, but it's real. He's in, if you like, the third heavens, the dwelling place of God, not the second heavens that that Parkes Radio Telescope looks at, the sun, moon and stars, not the first heavens, which is the sky around us where the birds fly. He's, as it were, in the third heavens, the place where Paul said in Corinthians, I was caught up into the third heavens and I saw things not lawful for me to be uttered. He saw Jesus. So we're to think on these things, set our hearts on these things, and we are glorified in Christ. He is in the place of glory, and we are seated with him in glory. And it's just a matter of time before the reality of our glorification appears. When Jesus returns, we will be, we who are justified in Christ and being sanctified in Christ will be fully glorified with Christ. But it's guaranteed. So we're seated with him in, in glory. We're glorified in Christ. So as we lock on to these truths and chew them over in our hearts, like Mary did, we, we have things to ponder about and that would utterly persuade us that if these things are true, we ought to give ourselves fully to them. If this is true for me, and I'm seated in the heavenly places in Christ, I ought to become like a hard-working farmer, ready to share in the harvest that I'm convinced is coming. I better become like a soldier who refuses to get caught up with civilian affairs because I want to please the captain of my salvation. I want to become, um, uh, get into training like, a, like an athlete, a serious athlete, knowing that bodily exercise profits only a little in this life, but godliness is profitable for all things in this life and in the next. Our feet must be on earth, but our hearts and minds are to be in heaven. Is this how you see yourself? Do you see yourself this way? There's a whole future orientation that comes out here. Christ is coming, verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears. You see it coming out again, verse 24, later on in the chapter. It says, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you're serving, Chapter 4, verse 1, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And he's coming back. 
and you're going to have to give an account. So Christ is coming. Wrath is coming. Verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. These are the sins that are listed in verse 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming. So there's things that are coming. Christ is coming. Wrath is coming. Our inheritance is coming. If these things are true, we ought to pay attention. And he's saying the way we pay attention is by fixing our minds on Christ. Hebrews describes it as looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, as Jacob read out before. So there's a couple of important habits that come to mind. What kind of trellis are you building to keep yourself looking up in a heavenward direction? What kind of trellis are you going to build so that the vine that will bear much fruit is borne up and lifted up and doesn't just gather on the ground and rot? What is going to keep you in that upward look? Well, I think resolve to maintain a daily intake of God's word. That's a bare minimum. A daily intake of God's word is, will act like a trellis to keep you in the mind of Christ. Keep thinking things through and working things through. Scouring through the pages, laying hold of the promises that God has given you. Taking those, taking those promises to heart, feasting on them and saying, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? taking these things to heart, meditating on them. And I would say also resolve to prioritise gathering with God's people. Instead of accepting that extra shift at work or staying out late socialising or going off to the shack most weekends, say, I, I need to get serious in my faith. I, I can't afford to just be absent all the time and disconnected from God's people, it's not good for my spiritual health. I'm going to talk with my boss about seeing if I can be scheduled on another day, not on a Sunday. That won't always be possible, but you can try. Ask, and it'll be the intention of your heart that God sees, because it's the intention of your heart that will lead you either toward Christ or away from Christ. We live from our heart. And, and if it's um, a need to, um, you might need to say to yourself, look, I just can't stay up drinking till all hours anymore because I'm just a shipwreck in the morning and I can never make it to church at 10 a.m. I, I just can't go on like this. You need to work out what your priorities are and say to yourself, am I going to stay up till all hours or am I going to get myself to bed so that I can be with God's people? Or to, to say, look, do I really need every second weekend to be at the shack? I know it's great, I know it's nice, but I'm disconnected. Can I shift that out to once a month? So that three out of four Sundays I'm with God's people. Or maybe even every second month. And someone else, some family members might be able to use the shack. It's not sinful, it's not wrong, but it probably disconnects you from your church family. Ask yourself, what 
will you do that will help you keep connected with God's people and do it? That's the kind of intentionality that Paul is talking about here. And he's saying, if you do these things, it will help keep you on the straight and narrow. He says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he's describing now sensual sins. And then later on, he describes social sins. Sensual sins are to do with the body. Sexual immorality, any kind of sexual immorality whether as a single person or a married person, adultery or fornication in God's eyes is wrong. Homosexual sin, heterosexual sin. It's not just homosexual sin, it's heterosexual sins. So any kind of sexual relationship outside of man-woman marriage, God says, don't do it. But your bodily desires will want to take you there. And it's not just in the realm of sex. It's in the realm of appetites of any bodily kind. Impurity, which is really talking about lustful speech and attitudes connected with luxury and loose living. It's talking about um, lust, where you have a state of mind that excites sexual impurity, pornography, voyeurism, any, any kind of dalliances that are going to excite you unnecessarily, just do what Job did, make a covenant with your eyes not to think upon a woman if you're a bloke. Or if you're a bloke and you're same-sex attracted, don't set your, your mind and your heart that way. Do it for the sake of Christ. If you're a woman, it's in relation to a man. Do it for the sake of Christ. Anything that's going to interfere with your desire to live purely for Christ, with Christ, is going to be your enemy. Evil desires, desires that left unchecked will lead to evil deeds and regrettable actions. Greed, which is covetousness, it's an expression of idolatry. Always wanting more, never being satisfied, lacking contentment or self-control. And it's, here it's about good things. Evil desires is when you desire evil things. But greed or covetousness is when you have an, a wanton desire for, for good things that is taken too far. So you might get caught up with clothes or shoes or food or fine wine or houses or cars or books or travel or hobbies. Anything that will become an obsession to you, deal with it. Just say, for the sake of Jesus, I want to put this off. It's interfering. And he deals with how to go about doing that. He talks in terms of, uh, he gives a picture of a person changing clothes. And it's from the imagery of, of Jesus when he rose from the dead, he laid aside his grave clothes. He put them aside. You don't walk around in grave clothes. And he's saying, these things belong to your old life. They're your grave life. You died to those things. Don't live in them anymore. Put them aside like you, when you get changed and you take off the old and you put on the new. So it's a logical extension of the resurrection. Verse 1, Since then you have been raised with Christ. 
set your hearts on things above. And it gets down into these kinds of attitudes in how we deal with social sins and sexual sins. Social sins that cause heartache to others. Anger, critical attitudes, lying, coarse humour, malicious gossip, talking in uncaring ways about people, talking behind their backs. These two, Christ will judge. And, and he has set down clear boundaries in his word about these things. So rather than waiting for God to judge us at the last day, we go onto the front foot and judge ourselves and say, Lord, I can, I'm convicted here. This is not right. I know this. I want to put it aside. And you appeal to him for his help and his strength, the strength of his spirit. You say, the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can surely help me put to death these things in my life. And if you, I know it's easier said than done. You will struggle with these things, but if you have a consistent desire that way, you might be surprised what progress can be made. And he's he's urging us to live this way, to make Christ a priority. If Christ sees into our hearts and knows the thoughts and intentions of our mind, then we're to make it our goal to please him. Satan is the father of lies. So how can we lie and pretend we're following Jesus? It's inconsistent. Lying involves intent. If my watch is wrong and I give my friend the wrong time, that's not a lie, it's a mistake. But if I intentionally tell an untruth in order to get some personal gain, that's a lie. And he says, don't do it. An old proverb says, half a fact is a whole lie. Just telling half a truth for the sake of trying to get your way is not right. So wake up. Quit deceiving yourself and trying to deceive God. He can't be deceived for he knows the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Put these things aside. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. So you've got to build some sort of trellis to begin training your mind in that upward call of God in Christ Jesus' direction, away from sin. And the place to start is to admit your failure, to admit Your own backyard, the backyard of your heart, is a mess. It's not right. There are things in it where there are weeds that are growing and they need plucking out. There are things that that you're thinking and that you're doing that if Christ was to return, you know before him you would shrink into a back room somewhere because you'd be ashamed. And he's saying, bring it out into the light now. Put it aside. Bring judgment forward on yourself and let Christ be your helper to overcome these things. So we're to, we're to seek heavenward. We're, we're to look to the heavens for Christ. We're, we're to slay sin in us. Put it aside. And we're to strengthen the things of Christ in us. You see in verses 12 and following, he deals with that 
putting on. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We look up, we, we recognize we've fallen short, we, we seek to put the axe to sin, and we seek to put on what is right. And it's with the strength that Christ supplies. And it can only come when our hearts are renewed in Jesus. We have a new heart. Look at verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. There are two different Greek words there. One means a brand new thing and one means a refreshed thing. So since we are a brand new creature, new creatures in Christ, and now we're raised with him and seated at his right hand, things in our life that are inconsistent with that need to be refreshed, need to be put off, need to be dealt with. And so he gives this, this simple advice. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is the positive, 15, 16, 17. The peace of Christ, the message of Christ, and the name of Christ. Let that peace of Christ be the umpire in your heart. Since as members of one body you're called to peace, blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called the sons of God. Be thankful, have a thankful heart. So let Christ's peace be an umpire in how you go about living rather than just craving things and designing ways in your heart and mind to get there. Why not crave Christ? Seek Christ and be content in him. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So this is a corporate thing. So we would allow this message of Jesus to have full sway. So we keep wanting to come and gather with God's people. And we want to hear the gospel preached. We want to hear the message. And we'll listen to it on a podcast if we can't. We'll, we'll seek to put it into practice. And we want to put on a, an attitude of thankfulness. Verse 17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is how you go about putting on Christ, listening to him, letting his peace be the umpire, letting the whole message of the gospel take root in you, dwell in you richly, overflowingly, not skimpily, and do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. It can't get much more comprehensive than that. Elsewhere, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God will be with us if we live that way. So disciples bear fruit. It's a distinguishing mark. And the way that fruit will come is by seeking the heavenly, slaying the earthly, and strengthening the Christly. Putting off the old, putting on the new, and doing it with the strength that God supplies. So just as we close, think back to Parks. If you want to become an Elvis lookalike, go to Parks, join in the festivities, get all shook up, watch how the best go about it, listen to Elvis's songs endlessly until you know them by heart, study his movies, watch how he grooves and moves, 
you know, and then let the true elvish you come out for all the world to see. Get the hair cut, dye the hair, put on the clothes, get the guitar, take the lessons, get into it. And eventually, after years and years and years, people might see Elvis in you. But if you want to look like Christ, my advice is don't do that, but do something like that in relation to Christ. Go that extra 20 kilometres further north, take that upward look. Look at Christ Jesus Ponder where he is, the significance of who he is and what he's done for you. Study that. Watch the movie, as it were. Read the book. Get, get into it. Put yourself into it. And then let the real you come out for all the world to see, the Christian you, the Christ-like you, the you that follows Jesus so that people would see Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're identified with Jesus. He governs the whole orientation of your life and direction of your heart. This is a curriculum for Christ-likeness, for bearing fruit. It will only happen when we've got that upward look and we set and fix our heart and our mind on Christ and then intentionally work out ways to put off the old and put on the new. And with God's help, will grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who desires that we bear fruit and a lot of it. Please keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of you. Help us to bear the kind of fruit you intend for our lives. Remind us how serious and important this is because it affects your honour, the effectiveness of our service in your kingdom, the fruitfulness of our daily living and our witness. Also remind us that it's not a competition of who can bear the most fruit or comparing ourselves with others. Keep us mindful of Jesus Christ and the claims and call that he has on each of us uniquely that as his disciples we're not above him that if we run ahead of him we'll trip up we'll come undone please teach us our rightful place abiding in Christ you in us and us in you as branches vitally connected to you our nourishing vine. Help us to develop the kind of mindset that's consistent with Christ in us, the hope of glory, and our lives being hidden with Christ in God as we wait for him to be revealed at the last day. Excite us about these things, Lord, that our Christian life would come more to life and be more real and more joyful to us. May our personal and corporate trellises help us to seek the heavenly, to slay the earthly and to strengthen the Christly among us. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.